Snuff Production. Harry Garside is one of Australia's most celebrated athletes, an Australian boxer who won bronze at the Tokyo Olympics, the first Olympic medal in boxing for Australia in 33 years. However, Harry is so much more than a champion boxer. His upbringing and treasured sport are deeply aligned with conventional ideas of masculinity and strength. But Harry has a distinct passion for dismantling these stereotypes, intertwining ballet classes with being a breathwork instructor and donning nail polish during fights. Whatever Harry is doing, he is fearlessly pushing the boundaries in every facet of his life, testing both his mental and physical thresholds. Harry and my conversation goes to many places, including how spirituality has played a big part in his life, breaking gender stereotypes, the power of meditation and breath work, and pushing through pain to find the light. I was more connected to what my mum was doing and, and obviously the added element of being the youngest, just being smaller than my brothers and I guess always getting pushed around a little bit and I felt like as well they were quite fearless and I felt really scared and I think I started boxing initially just to sort of gain respect for my two brothers and my dad. I'm Sarah Grimberg and this is A Life of Greatness. Through my years of studying and researching the connection between human behaviour, personal growth and transformation, I have discovered the keys to unlocking greatness within others. In this podcast, I share stories and experiences from my own teachings, along with conversations with inspiring guests to help you learn the simple tips, habits, practices and strategies to cultivate an extraordinary existence. It was a real pleasure to sit with Harry in conversation today. Our discussion centres on illuminating the boundless capacities of human potential and underscores the potent lessons of discipline, self-accountability and the significance of consistency. My hope is that this conversation inspires you to take control of your life and find the beauty that exists in yourself and the world around you. Harry Garside, I want to start by talking to you a bit about your upbringing, but the first thing that really stood out to me that we have to speak about is that your mum is a medium. <laughs> yes, my mum is I a medium. I wish you brought her today. I know, I know. She's actually um, <laughs> travelling around Australia as we speak, so I haven't seen her in like, in, in like a month, so she's enjoying her time. But yeah, growing up for me with my mum, who was very, very spiritual, yeah. um, it was very unique because my dad is almost the polar opposite. He's a, he's a tradie, um, say, I guess a stereotypical Aussie bloke. Yeah. Um, and then my mum being super spiritual, I, I felt like it was quite, I look back now, it was a little bit confusing, but it's like yes. when you're born into an environment, it's all you know. So, um, really. Did she read for you? No, no. no. I, it was more around like, she always had like tarot cards or crystals yeah. and, and, and she got into the mediumship stuff probably maybe when I was about 12 and onwards. Yeah. Um, and then, as I said, like crystals and, and very spiritual stuff prior to that. Yes. Um, but yeah, I've, I've always sort of found it really fascinating because as I said, my dad being quite, I guess, conservative and and more right-wing and then mum being super spiritual, it was like, like what's right, what's wrong? I, yeah. and I didn't really know. 
going back, because if my mum was a medium, like I'd be asking her questions 24 <laughs> 7. Because if you're a medium, you're also psychic, which means that you can predict the future and a medium can obviously talk to the dead. Mm. So, did she like have people come over and did she channel for them? Like, did she have a business as being a medium? Yeah, she does now. She definitely didn't growing up. Um, she was just really, really fascinated in it. I don't know names, um, but I know she did go to England with her best friend, um, who's like probably my auntie. Um, not blood related, but really, really close. And and they went to England and they they were there for like a month and they they worked under I think a really, really big name in the mediumship world. Yeah. And and they absolutely loved it. And I think for them that was like an amazing experience where they I guess they explored it a lot more. And 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 mum said from an early age she always felt that she could connect to the spirit world yeah um and i guess only in her 30s and 40s did she really explore what that was Mm. um what that feeling was what that connection was because i believe i'm quite spiritual but at the same time also because i have my dad i'm also quite um you know what's the word like i I wouldn't say pessimist, well, but like I'm quite, you mean, I'm like, uh, I question things. Yes, Yeah, yes. I question things a lot. So I'm, I'm like, like I'm a skeptic. Yeah. I'm a skeptic. But at the same time, knowing my mum's not a liar and knowing my mum, I love my mum to bits. So yeah. it's like, I feel very conflicted within myself. But um, just really grateful, I guess, my mum is just exploring that because it's like, it doesn't really matter what actually is real. Yeah. It's more what you believe, right? And But like, how did your dad and your mum connect to then, obviously, <laughs> are they still married? Yeah, still Yeah, married. to like still be married. And I mean, I think that opposites attract. Does your dad kind of look at what your mum does and is he appreciative of that? Yeah, he, de- he definitely is. I think he's more so appreciative of my mum having something that she's really passionate about. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And as I said, whether it's real or not, I, I truly believe, as I said, I'm a bit of a sceptic, but I truly believe that there's like a frequency, there's an energy that we just can't articulate, that mm. we don't know, but there's something there, right? There's something there in this universe, there's something there on this planet that we just, we can't, we can't fathom. There's like this energy, there's this frequency that whether you say it's fate, whether you say it's you know, whatever it is, but there's something else that we have no control over. Mm. And and I think that's what my mum's tapping into. Yeah. And, and whether that be spirituality or whether that be actually just something that we can't, we don't have, our brain is doesn't have the capacity to read or, or whatever it is. But it's like, I think my mum is tapping into that and it's, it's quite special. Mm. Well, I think if you are of the understanding that we're all energy, um, and that energy never dies, that the the body will die but the soul kind of continues and that being energy, then it's all still kind of around that, us. And if she's tapping into that energy as such, then there is the ability to tap into people who have passed and mm. that sort of thing. I mean, I'm a true believer in it because I feel like I've experienced it myself. So I think once you have those experiences, then you know them to be real and really... It doesn't matter what anyone else mm. thinks really, does it? As mm. long as your mum, you know, she's found her purpose and she finds joy in that, I suppose that's probably what your dad appreciates so much. Yeah, absolutely. And and I have been to a few of my mum runs like mediumship days. It's quite common now. I think it's like once every two weeks um, and, and people rock up. I think the biggest number she's had is like 60, 70 people in a room, wow. right? So she, she's doing really well and absolutely loves it. And, and I've been there working on the door just helping my mum out and, to think about some of the the facts and the, the the details that they get about people in the spirit world, I'm like, how did you? Like, I'm yes. quite skeptical, but I'm yeah. like, how did you do that? Like, yeah. it's um, it's quite amazing to be in a room like that and to see as well. Like, I guess the people in the room are there 
searching to hear from their loved ones that have passed and 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 to see them I guess walk out feeling like they have mm. that's a beautiful experience absolutely what spiritual practices did your mum instill in you when you were young mm, that's a great question um, she wasn't really a person who pushed things on us it was more so I think she lived her life in a way that made us very curious yeah well me me more so I don't know about my brothers I can only speak for myself but I I'm, I'm very curious and I think as I mentioned at the start, my dad being quite right-wing and mum being more left-wing, I was just curious about both. And I actually classify myself being a more centralist in most topics in this world because I think both the left-wing have negative and positive traits to it and both right-wing the same. Mm. So I um, I really love that my mum and, and dad instilled in me like hard work ethic and curiosity and question everything. And I'm really grateful that that's instilled in me because I feel like I'm never in a place of like, yes, this is it. This is knowing because I think if you're sitting in that place, I think it's almost a little bit ignorant for myself. So I feel like I'm always questioning my own beliefs and questioning other people's beliefs um, just so I can grow and evolve and try and get to that magical Mm. answer that we'll never hopefully find. And you're obviously a champion boxer, but how did you get to that stage? I know that your father he did a bit of boxing himself. Like, how did that kind of all come about? I was the youngest of three boys and and a big part of my story, like, um, growing up in, like, a quite masculine environment, dad being a tradie and, and having two older brothers. And I think every young person just wants to be like their parents mm. or like to be... I wanted to be like my brothers as well. And I felt quite different to them. And and I think I was more connected to what my mum was doing and, and obviously the added element of being the youngest, I guess being the baby of the yeah. family, um, just being like smaller than my brothers and I guess always getting pushed around a little bit and and just like I felt like as well they were, they were quite fearless mm. and I felt really scared. Um, and I think I started boxing initially just to sort of gain respect from, from my two brothers and my dad and... Um, yeah, they, they they themselves weren't like hardcore boxers or anything like that, but they're always quite rough around the edges, yeah. right? And and I think I started it, I don't know about the age of nine, but I think I can look back now and positively say that I definitely started it to, to prove I was a man, to prove I was just like them and fell in love with the sport for many reasons. And it's quite spiritual as to why I fell in love with the sport because mm. it's quite, um. I think you can speak to most athletes and and but definitely the combat space, it's like the most meditative and pure state that we can go. You like know? a flow oh, state. Like we're animals. Yeah. That's all we are. And I think we're so disconnected from ourselves. Um, we're so disconnected to what we'll actually be doing of, of hunters and gatherers and, and animal instinct. And I think for myself, when I step inside those ropes or just that feeling when you're warming up, like that is the most pure feeling I feel. Um, What's it feel like? You almost can't even articulate it, but it's just more like everything is heightened. It's the, you have, what's that? Well, there's a saying, it's like fast paced chess with dire consequences. That's what boxing is. It's like high level thinking, but you have that same response of animal instincts. Like you generally have the same response that you could, you could die in that ring. You mm. mean the, the humiliation, the embarrassment, there is the added element of like, you could literally hurt yourself quite seriously. And I think all of that wrapped into one with all the preparation and, and the anxiety and the the confidence and, and the fear and, and then to get in there and still push through and, and I guess 
mano v mano. It's it's a beautiful moment, and I I'm really grateful I found that at the age of nine because as as I said before, I was quite a scared kid, mm. and I feel like boxing gave me a lot of confidence. And I don't think I would be the man I am now if it wasn't for for the sport and many other things. How did you go at school? I was never a grade A student, but I, I I just feel like um I was the type of kid I didn't learn how everyone else learnt. Mm. So I um I found it quite hard. I think I think you go to school and I went there with really, really good intentions and I tried really hard. But I think slowly but surely I started falling behind because I didn't learn how everyone else learnt. You get to like grade three or grade four and you're already a little bit behind. Mm. And then you feel like you're playing catch up. And then I think it got to a point where I was like, I'm that far behind that I just stopped, stopped paying attention because I am. Um, you start comparing yourself. It's a natural thing we do. You start comparing yourself to everyone else. And then I think I got to about grade four, grade five, and I really started to like just take the piss because I I, I didn't want to admit that I was dumb. Yeah. I didn't want to admit, admit And you weren't that, dumb. No, no, no. But <laughs> I, yeah, but I felt that, right? Yes, and it's like, yes. it doesn't matter what is right, but it's just what you feel. And yeah. Probably got to grade four, probably until the end of high school that I that I just sort of played this. You know, I don't really care that much, or yeah. um, and I know I'm not stupid. Like I really know that. Like I know I, I think outside the box. I critically analyze things. I've got a high emotional intelligence, and I'm I'm really grateful for those things. But when it comes to school, mm. I felt like I was quite stupid. And it's such a weird environment. School, I find, like you know, in reflection of my school years as well, I think to myself. It's these certain subjects you have to learn and you might not be good at some of them. But then you get out of school and you find something that you love. Like I think about my career and how much it's flourished and taken off and I'm living my purpose and I couldn't be happier. But really school gave me like the basics and had I just focused on that, God knows where I would have ended up. So sometimes it makes me sad that we still have that kind of environment for our kids now. Yeah. You know, I think there's so much better ways to learn and maybe if we, like, evolved the subjects a little bit more as well, that could help a lot of people. Yeah, I've definitely I've definitely thought about our school system and I think for some people it would work, right? But it's like there's a whole... I went to the biggest public school in the state at the time. It was 2,500 kids. Really? It was massive, right? So it's like in each classroom there's 25-plus kids and, you mean, we all we're all individuals, right? And we all learn differently. Mm. And to put everyone in the same system, I, I just don't know if that statistically is going to work, right? Yeah. Um, but at the same time, as I said, there's some people who really thrive in that situation. I know my um, my best friend, <clears throat> she she did amazing and she got, I think, 98 in her ATAR, which is an amazing score. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I'm so proud of her. And she thrived in that situation where I was like, uh, this isn't for me. But then I've also come out of school and I've I've seemed to, seemed to do okay and, and so has she. So... I don't know. It's one of those things. It's like, how do you get a system that makes the mm. most amount of people? And I think the system now probably does that, but there could be a couple of adaptations. Yeah. yeah. And and I think it's so important for people to hear that you did thrive after school, knowing that school maybe wasn't for you. And I wonder if someone's listening now, like a kid, and they're thinking like, oh my God, I'm doing so badly at school. It's not your life. This snapshot will not be forever. What advice do you have to any kids that maybe are struggling at school? I'm such a firm believer. Find something that you're passionate about. Yeah. I mean that, and that's. I'm so grateful that I found that at the age of nine. I feel mm. like a blessing because I look at my dad, and and my dad is mid fifties and been a roof tiler since he was fourteen. He's passion is probably our, his family, <laughs> which is great. Yeah. But like, I, besides the family, yeah. he, he doesn't really have anything else, right? And I and I feel for him. 
I mean, I feel so blessed and privileged that I found a passion at the age of nine. But for any young person, if you can find something that you really enjoy, try scale it into a job. And yes. and the thing is as well, like, like I've never once chased money. I've never once. You know I mean, I've just chased my goals and, and for me, it's always just worked out. Mm. It's almost like, and this is quite spiritual, but I have this like little, um, it's like a mantra, I guess, that I say to myself, it's just like, the universe is working for me, not against me. Yeah, I, know I say that as well. I know you've yeah. had Matthew McConaughey um, and yeah. at the start of his book, he's like, I've collected enough evidence to prove that the universe is working for me, yes. not against me. And I truly believe that I too. I believe that. And also I feel like if you're giving back or you're doing something of service and that doesn't have to be doing a job like you and I do on a bigger scale, it can be something so small, like something that is filling others' lives with joy. If you're surrounding yourself by people that bring you joy and you bring their them joy and you're somehow like living your purpose, then the money will come. Mm. It always does. Mm. It always does. And it can take time, but you will eventually get there in the end. Yeah. It's that, what you said about it takes time. Like I feel like we're, um, the world we live in now in Western civilization, everything is so accessible. Mm. Like if you want money, get cryptocurrency. Yeah. If you want, you mean to look good, you mean go on a quick, easy diet, you mean yeah. do the juice cleanse. If you want, you mean Uber Eats, you want quick food, get Uber yes. Eats. Like everything's so instant. Yeah. And the and reels, it, quick, 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 you know. Everything's so speedy. Yeah. And I just think, I think we're teaching young people that things are so quick. And when they stick at something for six months, let's say, they think, oh, it hasn't worked out. Like it's not going to happen, yeah. right? And it's like great things take forever. Like <laughs> that's as simple as that. And it's they like do. I, I've been boxing for nineteen years, eighteen, nineteen years, and I still haven't scratched the surface of what I want to scratch, right? And it's like, but the man that I have become on that whole journey, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really grateful for that. Um, and. But it's like, I feel like we're just teaching young people that like things yes, are quick. come instantly. Yeah. And I think that is such wise advice because everyone I speak to, like Amy Shark, I talked to her the other day and she's like, this is, I'm not a um, overnight success. Like I've been doing this for 14 years <laughs> or something like that. And like, I'm the same. It took me years of producing to then get into being a host and building all the skills I needed. And I really believe that the universe doesn't want to throw you in into the deep end because then you're like, you may not be able to swim properly. Mm. So if you build up your skills and become so good at what you're doing, then you're going to flourish. Mm. But you need to take the time to build those skills up. So that might be doing jobs in areas that you don't love at first, but they give you the base to be able to get to where you are. Like, I think people think like, all right, I'm going to leave school and then I'm going to get that job in that big law firm and I'll be a partner. And it's like, that will happen for you, I'm sure, but you have to put the work in to get there. And I think when we talk about manifestation, it's like to get to that end goal, you need to put the work in to get there. You can't just wish it to be true. Yeah, it's very true. I also think as well, when it comes back to um, like passion, and I think if you find something you're passionate about, when things get really hard, which it's inevitable, it's going to happen. It's like when you're passionate about something, it's quite easy. And yes. I think, yeah. I think you don't... um. When you're passionate and you follow, I guess you follow your heart and you follow your passion, you don't turn your back on yourself. And I think there's so many people in our world, it's not their fault, it's more so the system. Mm. They think that they've got to get the job and then when they have the money and when they have all these external things, right, it's like they think that's going to be the thing that's going to make mm. them happy or make them full. And I've, I've experienced that myself. And it's like you get there and you're like, I still feel the exact same. But I think when I've listened to my heart and when I've been passionate about what I do, it's like results are important. Of course, I'm ambitious. I'm an athlete. I'm a high-performing athlete. But like, 
it's more just I'm passionate about what I do. I wake up most days and I'm really happy because yes. I, I really enjoy what I do, right? Um, and I just want more people to feel like that. Absolutely. The Reach Foundation was a big part of your youth and I remember that through a few people who I know who kind of have been involved. But can you talk to us a bit about what that is? Is it still going now? Yeah, yeah still and going. And how did you kind of align with it? Yeah, so they, they entered my school... As I mentioned before, I, I wasn't like a, a, an amazing student. I think when I checked out at grade four, <laughs> I sort of become a little bit of a rat bag. Yes. Um, and what did you do? Just more around like, like I'll be talking in class. I wasn't like a bad, bad kid, but I'll be talking in class. We had this thing called timeout where you get sent out of class and, and I often, I'll probably go there like once every couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, like wasn't like a really bad kid compared to my brothers, I guess. Um but yeah, also wasn't a kid who, who really sat there and was like, yeah, do every do every do um, everything the teacher told you. And there's a teacher who I formed a really, really close relationship with, she said, um, I really want you to come to this day. I had no idea what it was. She said, you're going to get KFC, right? <laughs> Young kid, I think I was like 15, 16, I'm thinking, how good is this? Beautiful. No, a day off school and I get KFC. So it's I have, the little thing. <laughs> yeah. I rock up for the day and I remember it was just a male workshop. So Reach ran two workshops that day, one for the females, one for the males. Yeah. So I walk into this room and I look at some of the some of the people from Reach in the room and they're wearing some of the strangest clothes I've ever seen. <laughs> a boy from out in the like sticks. What? Out, out in the, just like really high socks. <laughs> like you picture people in Brunswick in, in Melbourne, yeah. just like your Brunswick-esque people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I was just like, I'm from out in the sticks. I'm yeah. like, what are these guys wearing? <laughs> um, and I was like, I just instantly felt this is like going to be a weird day. And, <laughs> and I started as a participant and the first exercise we did that day in a room full of all my guy mates. And I'm one of the alphas and the first thing we have to do is stare into each other's eyes oh i've done that exercise at a wim hof <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah it's quite magical yeah, right yeah. but you but your eyes start doing weird things you see like three of their heads and yeah it's quite <laughs> yeah. it's really trippy yeah it is absolutely and and like being in a room full of 16 year old boys and yeah. all your mates um but i this is the universe right i got partnered with someone from reach so mm. um which it would just happen by fate yeah and and all my mates are laughing and joking because they're partnered with their mates. And I'm sitting there staring at someone from Reach and I'm thinking, he's not taking the piss, I'm not going to take the piss. And that was like probably the turning point because it was quite funny that I felt so vulnerable. Mm. I felt seen. I think for for young men especially, I can't speak for the female experience, but for young men especially, a big thing that men want is recognition and yeah. to be seen and, and to be appreciated. And I felt that all those things in that moment, right? Yeah. Um, what and was it that made you feel that? I think um, I think I was like when I, when I look back now, and I haven't really thought about this much, but I think I was like searching for my dad's, you mean mm. my dad's eyes, and I think in that moment, although I I know like it wasn't my dad, but I think a, a man was looking at me and he was seeing me, and he, he I felt safe, and I felt. I felt he could, I felt like that day he had my back and I'd never met him before. So, um, That's so beautiful. Yeah. And I think, as I said, for young men to feel that, I felt, I felt really like out of my skin almost. And that day I shared some, some pretty emotional things about myself and my family. And, and I guess I, I, I just took the calling. You know I mean, it was mm. like that, um, you know, what's that, the hero's journey. Yeah. You know, well, it's it, like the students ready, the teacher will come kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And it was it was, it was was a beautiful moment and I'm, I'm really happy that that day, as I said, I explored many things about myself as a participant and then I 
become um, like a crew member. So I become like part of their team after That's that. So and cool. Did heaps of trainings and was was heavily involved for for a few years, um, going out to schools myself and going doing camps with with young people on the weekends and stuff like that. And just um, really explore myself and I guess built my emotional intelligence. And I'm so happy for that. What did you discover about yourself? I'm still working it out. Um, but yeah, I really felt like at that time, um, I always felt like, of course, we've all got light and dark inside of us. Mm. And, and um, yeah, I'm definitely a flawed human and I know that. But like, I feel like I was misunderstood because early on in primary school, I was trying really hard to to be someone, be like my brothers. And, and I just feel like I can never really be myself. Mm. And um, and then I get to grade three, grade four, and, and I and I feel like I'm falling behind. So then I start playing more into what my brothers are like, right? So then I'm I'm probably more so being archetypes of my family, of my brother, and not being myself. Yeah. And then I feel like Reach really gave me the space to like explore myself, right? And it's like find out who you are, and it's like just opening up that can of worms. And and I'm so happy that that happened. Like there is times when like really looking at yourself. Um, over the last sort of eight years, there's times where it's really tough. You mean doing that self exploration journey? It's tough. You find things that you're like, oh, mm. I'm going to change them. And there's times where I'm like, geez, I wish I didn't open that can yeah. of worms. But all things that come up from years ago where you're like, whoa, I thought that was healed. Mm. I haven't thought about that for 10 years. And then it hits you like, it's crazy. You know what I've really thought of? This is getting a little bit off topic, but it's about the same yeah. thing. But I feel like we've got a tool belt, tool belt, right? And it's like every experience you pick up different tools, right? And you can add things to your tool yes. belt, but I don't believe you can ever get rid of tools once you pick them up. Mm. That's my yeah, they're, belief. Yeah, they're always there. They're always use, there, yeah, absolutely. right? And I, and, I, and I believe that, and that can be a negative tool, right? And it's like I battled addiction throughout my life and there's been certain things in certain environments where I'm not happy with that about myself. Mm. And it's like through awareness, through growth, I can choose to put that tool down, but I never lose that tool, mm. right? And I truly believe that. It's funny, when we talk a lot about personal development, you go and you're on this journey and you learn all these things and I think there can be a stage, and my girlfriends and I have talked about it, we're like, are we regressing? <laughs> We've learned all this stuff and then we're so frazzled by this or something. I mean, that's life. We're always going to have these things come up. But I think once you've learnt those things, like the good things, the tools on how to manage your mindset and um, work through situations, you see the bounce back rate from something negative happen be so much faster than what it used mm. to be because you have those tools in place. And I do agree with you, you know, something like addiction or any kind of negative trait or something that you've carried since you were young we can rewire the brain to allow it to not be there as much as it is, but we have to always be watching it. And a mentor of mine many years ago said to me, you know, Sarah, you'll be watching your thoughts till the day that you die. And I think that's all that whole conscious awareness piece, which is that we need to actively be aware of what we're saying, what we're thinking, our actions, always. Mm, And when we are, we can kind of, you know, get them back into line with how we want to be or how we want to show up in the world. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting thought. I um I definitely yeah, I definitely feel like there has been many times where like as, as you were saying before, like I'm like, yeah, I I'm I'm doing good. I've progressed. I've done so well. I'm I'm really proud of how I'm handling this situation and then someone comes into your life and you're like, "Oh, whoa. I'm <laughs> I'm going straight back to what I was 10 years ago." And it gets quite frustrating, but as you said, the bounce back mm. and the awareness and I feel like 
I feel like I'm I'm almost at the precipice where I'm like I'm in full control of everything that, that I choose to do, right? I feel like I'm almost there, right? Um, there is times where I feel like, of course, your subconscious controls a lot of your life a yes, lot of the time. Yes. Um, but a lot of the time now I'm I'm just so aware of how I show up. And I feel like as well, I've um I've really over the last six months stopped criticizing myself mm. when I, I feel like a lot of my life when I did something that I wasn't happy with, I would criticize myself so much, but don't do that again. I'm always like, would be so, so strict on myself, yeah. but I'm like, I've, so, I'm like, that's just, that's how it was supposed to be. It's almost like, I feel like I've just surrendered to the universe, yeah. um, which is a beautiful feeling. Like just, of course, don't get me wrong. I still go with intent and I want to try and be the best person I can be. But when I don't do the thing that I wanted to do, that's okay. Yeah. Right? And, and to be easy with yourself. Yeah. Which has been a weird journey because a lot of my time has been very critical of Especially self. Especially being a boxer. I feel like, not that I know that much about boxing, except like I do it recreationally once a week. <laughs> like that's about it. Um, not professionally. Um, that you're probably trained in that way of being harder on yourself than sort of maybe the average person. Yeah, I feel like any high performer yes. is like that. And it's like in order to be the best or to be ex- exceptional at what you do, you have to, right? And it's, But I think being able to separate, you mean being critical of your performance, being critical of yourself as an athlete, mm. but then also not taking that into your home and being yes. critical of yourself as a partner or being critical of yourself as a son or being critical of yourself as a person. Like I know my heart is in the right place and I know that – I know that if I'm walking down the street and someone's struggling with something, I'll always try and help. Mm, like I know that. It's beautiful. And and it's like I'm not perfect, I'm flawed, but it's like I know I'm not a bad person. Yeah. So that's that's all I that think matters. that's so that's just a beautiful thing to know because I think a lot of people think that sometimes they're bad people. Mm. And I remember seeing the scale of emotions and the lowest one, funnily enough, was shame. Mm. Um, that, that being too. like the most negative vibration or the lowest vibration we can have. Anger is above that. Like, So you think like anger would be the lowest, but it's not. It's shame. So I really feel like if you feel like you're not a good person, there's that heavy shame kind of attached to that. Mm. So to be able to move yourself out of that, to know that you are good, even though we are all flawed, as you (laughs) said. And I mean, I've interviewed some of the biggest names in the world and I can tell you that they think they're flawed as well Mm. and everyone's got their things. But that's the human experience. I've often thought as well, like you'll probably appreciate this thought, like, who actually dictates what what's right and wrong. Yeah, you know I mean? have felt that. Yeah, and it's like, don't get me wrong, as you said, shame, I've heard shame and guilt are like the lowest yeah. frequencies, right? So if you're operating at that frequency, you feel bad and, and that could, I don't know, play out in diseases or yes. bad outcomes, whatever. Yeah. But it's like, who actually dictates? Like, you think about our society, we like don't talk about sex. Yeah. We don't talk about orgasms. We don't talk about... You mean all these taboos that we don't talk about when someone goes through, I don't know, a divorce. Yeah. Like why? It's just yeah. like, it's, it's such you a, it's, it's, it's taboo subject. Yeah. And it's like, and I don't know. I feel it's so interesting, I guess, growing up in a society like that, where it's like, you just know not to talk about them, but they happen mm. and they're very natural. Um, I don't know. And it's like who dictates and who makes these rules? Yeah. It's like all the cultures are very different. And sometimes you'll be like, who made right or wrong? Mm. It's an interesting concept to kind and of is ponder. There, is there? I, I was listening to a podcast. Um, his name's Stephen Pressfield. He's got an amazing book. Um, and he was talking about, do you believe the universe has a moral compass? Mm. 
And I'm like, oh, I was thinking, I wasn't obviously on the podcast, but I was from America, but I was just thinking like, does the universe have a moral compass? Well, what I, what from some of the big thought leaders and spiritual people who have said this information and like, none of us know till we're dead, what really mm. goes on, but is in, it's more like that law of reciprocity. So what I've heard is like, it's not judgmental. It doesn't go like, oh, Harry or Sarah, I'm like going out to get you. It's not like that at all. It's based on your actions and it just mirrors to you the person that you're being. You're kind, you'll get kindness back. You're mean, you'll get mean back. It might not happen straight away, but it will happen in the course. So it's, it really is like, a reflection of you in some ways. Mm, I'm going through that right now, right? And yeah. I, I was actually driving here and I I feel like the last three, four months of my life, I have been traveling a lot, moving around a lot. And I was driving here and I've had the thought before today, but I was driving here and I just got reinforced. And I was like, I'm going again today on a flight. And I'm just like, it's almost like my mind is trying to run away from my thoughts and trying to distract myself. And I'm just projecting that into my environment. And it's like, I have just been moving around, not staying still in my, in my life, but it's like, that is just a mirror of what's going on in my mind right now. How funny is that? Yeah. And it's like, I feel like how often would, would most humans be doing that? Just be playing. It's like, I remember growing up and you're not aware of it, but it's like when your when your life is a little bit chaotic and you've got homework and all this stuff, you've got issues with a girlfriend when you're 14, it's like my room's messy. Yeah. Right? And yes, it's just like it's you like are- It's like a mirror. It's a mirror yeah. of what's going on in your mind. Yeah. And it's like if we can get just that aware of like, oh, what is playing out in our life right now? I've, I feel like I've just like realized I'm like, geez, I'm like trying to run away from a few things right now. Yeah. What are you trying to run away from? There's just a lot of things that I can't control right now. Mm. Yeah. Which-, which it's probably a good thing that I am running away, right? Because it's like, if you can't control them, if you do stand still and you try and control them, yes, there's that. We can't control everything. It's just exactly not right. possible. Yeah. And it's like, yes, there is the element of just surrendering to it, which I think I'm finding really hard to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, obviously, I won't go into details of exactly what it is, but like, I just feel like I'm, yeah, the things that I'm stressing about subconsciously, I can't control. So I'm like, all right, until I guess I can make leaps and bounds in them, let's just leave them mm. to the side. And how do you manage your stress? Like in all walks of life, this situation and then just others? Um, always uh, having a goal or something that I'm chipping towards. And I do know that that's a bit of a distraction, mm. but I, um, I'm like a firm believer in, as I'll give that tool belt analogy again, like I think there's many, there has been many times in my life where I think I have been very stressed out and it's like the, the probably, I guess the thing you should do is sit and address your problems. Right. But it's like, I don't know if I had the tools to face the problems and it's almost like the universe works in a weird, wonderful way because I distract myself. I focus on a goal. I focus on something else. I guess I run away a little bit from the problem. Um, and in that process of goal achieving, running away, I pick up a few more tools mm. and then I can come back, whether it be in six months time, 12 months time, whatever amount of time. And I have got the tools now, I guess, to address them. And what is that saying? Time heals everything. Yes, it yeah. does. Um, but also as well, I think in that journey, the universe has given me the tools I need to address the problems. You spoke a lot about your brothers and how like they were very masculine and they got into a bit of trouble and stuff like that. I know that you have a brother who's been in and out of jail several times and 
How has that affected you and how's he doing now? He's doing really well. Um, I saw him last night, which was great. Uh, I was only home for the night, but he's he's back living with mum and dad. Um, 2017, end of 2017, that's when his drug addiction came out. He's always been a bit of a, um, a dark sheep um, in the family and has always, I think... I guess stereotypically when you think about the oldest child, especially being an older oldest boy, there's like a lot of pressure on the mm. shoulders, I think, to, to, I guess, carry on the family name that's been like that for generations. And um, he went into the same trade as my dad and I guess was going to take on the family business. And there was just like a lot of pressure on his shoulders, I think. And I think from, a, from an early age, he, he really struggled. Um, I saw some things growing up of when he was like... I mean, 13, 14 and getting put in a psych ward and stuff like that. And he's five years older than me, so I'm eight at that time. And you guess you, you can hear the stress. You can hear the, I don't know, you can hear him. I haven't really addressed this. I probably should have talked to my psychologist about this. Um, it might have made you scared. Yeah, it did. Yeah, it really did. And I was quite a scared little boy. And it's it's quite interesting because <laughs> that moment, right, eight, eight, seven, eight, nine years old, whenever it was, it happened quite frequently. But. I start boxing at the age of nine, really? and I look back. I look back now. I was like, "What was what was I trying to achieve in that?" Right, and I think subconsciously I wanted to be the good boy of the family. Mm. You know how you know how happy it makes me now when mum and dad are like, you know, such and such asks, "How you going?" and and how's Harry going? Geez, he's doing so well. Yeah, you know, he sounds like he's got his head on his shoulders. You know, I mean, you know how proud that makes me because it's like I understand because I feel the same. Yeah. thing. my parents say the same thing. <laughs> when do we ever we're stop? We're grown adults <laughs> yeah. and we're like Still so searching. proud when our parents say nice <laughs> things of us. It's like we go back to when we're, we're eight years old. It's, <laughs> it's so weird. I've thought about will that at times. It? Will we ever break it? <laughs> Probably I don't not. Know. And, it's, and as a, like it, it does make me achieve amazing things. So yeah. I'm, I'm not angry about it, but I um. Yeah, I think at the age of eight, nine years old when my brother was going through that and he was just really struggling. But I guess as an eight-year-old, just seeing how stressed out it made mum and dad, um, I think he was the bad one or the black sheep. Um, I think I went on a lifelong journey of being the good boy of the family yeah. and making sure I, I shine good light on my family. And um, and then the pressure of that when you don't shine good light on yeah. your family, which has happened a couple of times, Um yeah, you feel like you're failing, you feel, you mean, and yeah, I just, I, I think I'm, I'm just really happy, I guess, that my life has turned out the way it has because I'm, I'm, I'm aware, I'm conscious, I'm growing always and I guess I'm in a better place than what I was when I was younger. Did it scare you when he went to jail? Yeah, it, I don't know about scare, but I definitely, um, it was almost like an element of relief, right? Yeah. Um, because you, you think about the system and what I know now is probably I shouldn't have been relieved because the system is just like, it's a stupid system. Oh, it's terrible. You get institutionalized yeah. and I guess it's easier in there and then you're a product of your environment, yeah. you're surrounded by other criminals. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's yeah. a weird, really weird system. They don't do psychology in there. They don't do like yeah. trauma. Rehabilitation yeah, rehabilitation stuff. It's just like you're just surrounded by other criminals talking about crime, talking about that frequency. Mm. They're operating that frequency, right? And... But when he first went in there, I think I was like, yes, finally he can get clean, he can get healthy, he can get his life together. Because that's what you think is going to happen, yeah. right? And then you realise that that doesn't happen. And then it was more so for my my families. I, f I feel like mum and dad, obviously, I, I genuinely believe this and I have no scientific evidence for this, but I think my mum was diagnosed with breast cancer last year and 
she's she's totally fine now, but um, I feel like my mum has tried to control everything in her life <clears throat> for a long time, mm. including my brother. And I genuinely believe that was the thing that set off her breast cancer, right? Because mm. I think she wouldn't sleep. She would like. I you mean know, she'd be crying most nights trying to find out where her son is. Like mm. you mean just like really cortisol, sad. Like, yeah, just always there, always yeah. there. And there was many other things going on in my my mum. Like she lost her mum during COVID, and obviously COVID being a shit yeah. time. But um, yeah, it's like I think when you're constantly operating at that frequency and that cortisol and that stress level, and you're sitting in that fight or flight response mm. and not going back down to parasympathetic, I think that is the cause 100%. of disease. That's what I believe anyway. No, I've talked to Garbo Mate and a lot of big, big name psychologists and psychiatrists and, and doctors and there is no doubt about it that that is 100%. We know that is a factor of disease mm-hmm. and illness and our mental health is important as our physical health, if, if not more. Mm. Yeah, I totally. It's so interesting though because I completely agree with that, right? And I com- completely believe that myself. But then there's like, the, you know, there's old people who like, you know that they're the most stressed out people. They smoke, they drink, and yeah. then they live until they're 95. You're like, how are you doing that? Look, there's always an anomaly. <laughs> I know, and, and I we think, can think of them. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I totally get it, and it's bizarre. Yeah. I wonder for you, we touched on visualisation. I think I love visualisation. I think that's like a big part of the work that I do. And obviously you being an athlete, it's a big part of your work. And I always talk because I coach a lot of people on manifestation and mindset. And one of the big parts of that is this visualisation piece. And I'd love to hear from you how you use that with your boxing. Yeah, um, I I think it's so important to... To think about what you're doing, right? Go with clear intent and and try and visualize every detail of of your performance and and even um I was seeing a psychologist for a period of time and and he said like even visualizing an outcome that you want, say in an argument or in a discussion, mm. you mean if you can visualize, say say you go into an argument that's happened and you didn't show up the best version of yourself. It's like visualizing yourself showing up yeah. how you want to visualize, right? Because if you can do that a number of times, I know Joe Dispenza talks about it a fair bit, but yeah. if you can do that a number of times, it's like when you're in that moment, you're more likely then to maybe pick that choice, yeah. right? And I think for sport, it's so valuable. I always visualize um, standing on top of the podium and it's so funny that before the Tokyo Olympics where I managed to get on the podium – I was doing these alarms for for ages, for like three, four months prior, and I could always see myself on the podium, but never in the middle. And that's what happened, <laughs> right? And I would always open my eyes because I get quite frustrated because we're... Because you got bronze, didn't you? Got bronze, Which yeah. is the highest achievement for any boxer in Australia, isn't it? For uh, We got one silver once. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it was a while ago now. Um, but yeah, it was... <laughs> um, yeah, hopefully next time we get the gold. Um, but yeah, it's so interesting that... I, I'm sure, have you read The Alchemist? Yeah. Yeah, Maktab, it's like everything is how, written. How come you could never visualise yourself in the middle? Uh, it's it ma- funny because I, yeah. I get that feeling. I've had it before where it's like something in you doesn't believe it to be true. Yeah. And it, it, so there's two things to it, right? It's that obviously um, I'm my own biggest critic. And yeah. it's like I don't know if I actually believe that I could be an Olympic gold medalist at that time. So there's that. So that that's playing into it. But then also as well, it makes me think about the universe and and is everything written? Like is everything just – and it's like sometimes when we really think about what's going to happen – and whether that be visualization, whether that be us just attracting that thing, but it's like if you th- really think about what is going to happen about something big, 
I feel like we can actually tap into something and connect to something, right? Yeah. And it's like that was three, four months in advance and it was the exact same thing most times. Mm. I never saw myself in the middle, right, but I could clearly see myself on a podium. Yeah, and it's like you know in your bones that it's true. Like when I teach manifestation, it's – and. Like in quantum physics, it's like everything is possible in the quantum Mm. and the art of like visualisation and what you spoke about earlier is it works if you raise your energy to believe it to be true. So when you're visualising, you need to actually believe that you are there then. So you're not separate to it. This is not happening in five months. You are reenacting whatever it is you want to bring into your life like it's there, Mm. right? And, And you're feeling that feeling of love. You're feeling that feeling of happiness. And when you feel that, you raise your energy. When you raise your energy, everything's energy. So it hits the quantum and then that time between cause and effect is shortened and allows you to draw what you want to you in a far faster time mm. than it would normally or maybe not at all. And so when we realise that, it's like, wow, this is like, how fun is this? <laughs> yeah. Like, what am I going to visualise to bring to me? And you can almost do it like a lot of athletes and musicians do it. I do it just in my daily life, like things that I want to achieve in mm. my work life, in my personal life. And some of the things that have come into my life have been unbelievable. <laughs> And it's come from me visualising them and knowing in my heart that I've got it. Mm. And and they always say, like, you can't go, I think I'm going to have this in two months. It's like, I know this to be true. It's in my heart. It's here. It's Mm. now. So it's like you knew you had that medal before you had that medal. It's um, it's interesting. I'm, I'm sure this has probably happened to you after that story. Like, when I speak into something or when I'm like, oh, geez, I really like this in my life or I speak to something and then the next day it happens. Yeah. I'm like, what the? Like, it feels <laughs> like I'm in control of the universe yes. at times. It's so fun. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so amazing. Fun. So like fun. I often think about like little things like testing it out with people and things like that and like like you said, I'll bump into the person the next day and I'm like, this is crazy. <laughs> they always say that the universe gives you breadcrumbs to know that you're on the right direction mm. and it might not be that you get the big thing straight away but you're given these little insights and you're like, it allows you to not give up. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And even when, um, like for myself, there has been, and I'm sure anyone, like there's negative times. Like I, I keep referring back to that mantra I said around the universe is working for me, not yeah. against me. And, and it's like, even when things are bad, even when things are yes. like, oh geez, I wish this didn't happen. It's like, the universe got something else in store for me. Absolutely. Totally How was it when you were up on the, uh, you know, winning the medal? How did that feel? To be completely honest, so boxing is an interesting one. So we we fight in the semi-final and I lost to the um, gold medalist from Cuba. And then we have one day before we receive our medal because they've got a fight in the final the next day. Um, and to be honest, I, I just went numb, <laughs> went completely numb. I It was an amazing achievement, I guess, to be on the podium and it wasn't expected. I was, I was definitely not expected to be on the podium. Um, but I believed I could, and I believed that I could definitely get to the podium. I could see it. Um, but yeah, I, I just went numb. And it's like, I don't Why know. Why do you think? There's two things to it. I think it wasn't the gold medal. It's like I'm a high mm. performer. I'm, I want the best, right? But then also as well, I I feel like I've always gone into things thinking that that's going to be the thing that's going to make me complete, right? Mm. And you you realise that anything external is never going to make you complete anyway. You can be that the house, the money, the promotion, the girlfriend, the whatever it is. But if it's outside of you, it's like eventually it might make you complete for a period of time. But it's yeah. like I, I 
I achieved something that hadn't been done in over three decades. And of course I felt proud, but I just went numb because I'm like, I still felt very incomplete. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder for you now, what do you kind of want to achieve? Yeah, boxing Olympic gold medal next year. Yeah. yeah, that's that's the that's the goal. That's the um, the black and white goal. But I think for me, I, I, I when I think about what boxing has given me and chasing goals has given me probably more so. Um, obviously, going into the animal instinct as a boxer, but I think it's so important to have something that you're chipping away at. You, you're waking up every day with intent. Um, you, you're, you're waking up every day with a clear direction. Um, I think for me, that's always helps me be more positive. And when mm. I don't have those things, which which hap- happens after a goal or you've got to set new goals, like I feel really lost. And and I just I just know how important it is, one, for my mental health and to just show up as the best version of myself because when I don't have clear direction and, you mean, I, I could be off the rails. I'm just such an mm. extremist. Yes. Everything I do is just to the extreme. And it's like I'm lucky that my addictions most of the time are very positive. <laughs> Um, yeah, but they still, you mean, there is the potential that just knowing my personality and it's like people always Were like, you addicted to drugs or alcohol when you were young? Is yeah, that, yeah. 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 Um, so there's been, there's been periods of time where it's like, it's never been, so my negative addictions have always complemented my positive addictions. They've almost balanced it out, right? Yeah. So it's, while I've been striving for success and ambition, which I must admit causes just as much pain and suffering as the other addictions, you mean, you're lonely, um... You're, you're forcing your body to do things that it's like, you mean, I'm pushing myself to, mm. to the max, right? Which sounds good. Um, I'm no, look, but it's I look extreme. healthy. It's just yeah. so extreme. And then there's always been something else going on in the background that sort of balanced it out, right? And that, that that's the, you know, it could be sex, could be gambling, could be um, substance, um, validation. Sometimes that plays into my um, self-worth. Um, but yeah, there's always sort of varied. It hasn't been one on the negative end that has been really consistent when I feel like it's been taking control of me, the negative one, I put it down and pick something else up. Yeah, wow. I mean, you're really well known for obviously wearing nail polish and dresses and things like that, which go against that real masculine um, way of being. What made you want to get up on the podium with nail polish and, you know, wear dresses here and there? I was speaking to my life coach about this and I think it stems from me trying to give young people that were similar to myself, someone to look up to. Yeah. Right, because we're most qualified to look after our younger self. And it's like, I think I'm just trying to be that person because for most of my childhood, I felt this need to be someone I wasn't. I felt this need to be like my brothers. I felt this need to be like a man. Mm. And and I know I'm a man. I know exactly who, I'm not exactly who I am, but I'm, I'm happy with who I am, mm. right? And, and I just feel like I'm doing those things because... If there is a young boy out there who is being a man, trying to prove he's a man, banging his chest, and um, but has more femininity to him, and I guess a side to him that he's really scared to show, then I hope that by me doing that, a, a boxer mm. with tattoos and a mullet and you mean know, a tradie, <laughs> I hope he goes, ah, you mean yeah. I can I can explore that right, yes. and 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 that's what I think I'm trying to do, and I think I'm just really passionate about young people, and I definitely think post boxing I'll be going into that space because I really I really enjoy mm. young people, and I think if I can help inspire in some way, shape, or form, um, and I guess help build emotional intelligence in young people, then I'm happy. Mm, that's so beautiful, Harry. What's the best advice that you have ever been given? Be passionate about what you do. Mm. Yeah. 
Because this whole this whole existence, sorry, this like it means nothing, mm. right? It's a blip in time. It's a blip in time, and I always find this when I look out at a big, vast ocean or stand at a big high point and I can view a city or something like that. And from where I stand, I seem so insignificant. Mm. But also from where I stand, I'm the centre of the universe. And I just think if you're passionate about what you do, although I believe this is all meaningless, it's like I'm still searching for experience. Mm. I'm still searching for love, connection, um, just feeling. And I think when you're passionate about something, you feel things quite often and the good and the bad. And yeah, I just think there's so many people out a lot um, in this world that I think aren't passionate about what they do. And um, yeah, I'm just really grateful that I am and, and I want more people to feel like mm. that. What's something that you wish for yourself? Just the ultimate acceptance of self. Yeah, yeah. And I, I definitely feel like in the last six months, I have made waves in that space which is really nice um i never turned my back on myself i went through something that was quite publicly humiliating and a really tough time and as i mentioned before trying to be the good boy of the family and then when i guess it's so public and you're not the good boy for something that i didn't really do um yeah i i I feel like I didn't turn my back on myself. I showed up every single day and all the things that I talk about on podcasts, I really went through adversity and I had to, I had to do the things that I was saying. You right? used your toolbox. Exactly right. And I think that was the first time in my life I went through something that I didn't ask for. You mean, I fail in sport, I fail in other things, I fail in relationships, whatever. It's like you kind of play a role in that, right? Mm. But that's something I didn't ask for. And... And I just, I, I did all the right things. And I think in that I built enough evidence to know that I have my own back and to know I am the man that I say I am. Yeah. When you're going through something like that or just generally, like when you wake up in the morning, are there certain things that you do, like meditation, prayer, like that kind of stuff? Yeah, there was, those alarms were going off a fair bit. Um, it's funny, when it all went down, I just made sure I, I purchased a sauna for my house oh, yeah, nice. and ice bath. Yeah. Um, and I was just training really hard. I was really fortunate that I had a goal to focus on, right? So to take me out of it a little bit. But I, um, I drank one time through that process and the next three days I just felt really flat. Mm. And I was just like, so then I didn't drink after that. I, I was cleaning up my diet. I was doing all the right things and... I think when when it's tough, I definitely felt all the impulses, all the things wanting to pull me in the direction of, I guess, comfort to take me out of my misery. You mean, but when I kept choosing not to, um, and there was times that, of course, I did choose that comfort, um, but most of the time I didn't. And I, yeah, I didn't sacrifice my mental health for the temporary relief. Mm. Do you have a favourite prayer or saying or mantra? Mm. I've said it a few times, the universe is working for me, not against me, for sure. Um, and even when things are tough, even when things are shit, which which all happens. Yeah. And definitely through the last four or five months, I was saying that to myself a lot. And I also say, when your heart is pure, the universe will always work mm. with you. And as I mentioned before, like, I'm so flawed and there's been times in my life where I'm like, oh, I didn't act like that. But I feel the guilt. I feel the shame. I don't want to be like that. Um, but I also know that if I walk down the street, walk into my car after this and I saw someone struggling, carrying something, or I saw someone struggling, my first instinct is always help. Mm. Right. And it's like, I feel like most humans are like that mm. and we're good people. 
Like if you're if you're like that, if you if you view someone who needs help and of you're instant, you're instant, yeah. and I think most people are like that. Not everyone, but most people are like that, right? Yeah. And I just keep reinforcing that to myself. I know I'm a good person, mm. so people can say good things about me. People can say bad you things know about me. That you are. But I know. Yeah. What is a life of greatness to you? Life of greatness for me. I'm only twenty, just turned twenty six. So yeah. I feel like I've got a, a long way to go. But I, I want to be a dad one day, and and I never, never used to be want to be a dad. But only in the last two years, I go, geez, I could really see myself being a dad. And anything I achieve in my life um, prior to being a dad will be will be awesome. But I think being the best dad I possibly can be. I think it's got to be the most important job in this world is being a parent and. Um, I focus a lot on myself right now, which is important to, to build those tools on my belt. But when I'm a dad, all that stuff, that's all bullshit. Yeah. Medals, success, all that stuff. I, I just want to be a dad and really present and just have a beautiful family. And, and that's greatness for me. Harry Garside, this has been such a fun conversation. <laughs> we covered a lot today and you are a beautiful soul who is helping so many people by just being their authentic self. So thank you so much for the conversation today. Thank you for having me on. If you've enjoyed this episode, then I'd love you to join my community on Instagram at Sarah Grimberg, where we post videos and behind the scenes footage of each recording. You can also join my private Facebook group, Live Your Life Greatly, where we discuss the content in this episode and many more as well as give advice and tips on how to live a life of love and meaning. To purchase my manifestation course and meditations, head to the shop tab at saragrimberg.com or this week's episode show notes to find a link. If you love what you heard, we'd love you to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app and leave a five-star review. It will help us share this wisdom with others. Listener.